Welcome to my weekly market commentator podcast. I normally speak to the top fund managers of South Africa's top asset managers, and I try and pick their brains about the perceptions of the markets and the opportunities they see. But today I'm going to stretch this mandate a bit and speak about venture capital and private equity. It is slowly but surely growing into a standalone asset class, and it may offer some exciting opportunities as part of diversified portfolios. My guest today is Lou Clarsen. He is one of the founders and the managing partner of Newtown Partners. Uh, it was a venture capital firm that was founded on the set of Dragon's Den, and this business specializes on investments in technology-driven businesses. Lou, thank you so much for joining us. Tell us about this Dragon's Den experience. How could a firm be born on the set? Hi, Ray. Thanks for having me on the show today. Yeah, it is a bit of an interesting story, isn't it? My partner, Vinnie Lingham, was participating in season one of Dragon's Den, which I think was 2017. And uh, we had been talking about getting into venture capital for a long time and had been doing some angel investments, but wanted to put together a team. And when we were sitting on the set and he had made a couple of these investments, we sort of decided that now was the right time and using those first couple of investments and I guess just the visibility of of participating on Dragon's Den as an opportunity to launch what became Newtown Partners. What has been the most successful investment you've made? We are very active in crypto and blockchain projects. And so from a pure returns perspective, those have done very well for us. But I think that the investment that I've enjoyed the most is actually one of those that we did first. In the first couple of months of Newtown Partners, maybe like four months in, we invested in SweepSouth. I invested at a time where it was sort of two founders and you know maybe five customers or something like that. And at that point in time, had we're fortunate that we had the time that we could commit to them. And so we spent a lot of time with them for the first couple of years. And, and it's been rewarding for me to see that it turned into something that ultimately had major social and economic impact. And I don't know what the most recent numbers are, but you know, it's something like 10,000 people that were underemployed and unemployed have managed to use the platform to earn money. And I've really enjoyed that. Yeah, SweepSouth, of course, is a peer-to-peer solution, much like Uber, where domestic workers uh, can find peace work, a very interesting model and very successful. And, and you sold that to Naspers. That's right. Uh, unbelievable uh, investment. But uh, let's talk about venture capital and private equity. What is the difference between the two? So I think that the private equity is typically looking for businesses that are capable of generating free cash flow and where you can use financial engineering and debt instruments in order to change the capital structure and ultimately op- optimize the returns that the business is able to create. And then once debt has been paid off, you know, exit the opportunity again. Venture capital takes a very different approach and says, we want to take something from, say, zero to one uh, and then ultimately, you know, to 10. So it's about building something which doesn't exist and turning it into something really compelling and, I guess, economically large because there's this expectation that if you can use smart capital without the expectation that it is going to generate a sort of profit or the business will be profitable, you can grow it to scale, you can benefit from the advantages that, I guess, many software businesses have between non-linear relationship between revenue and costs. And so venture capital is, as I said, very much about growing. Private equity is arguably more about financial engineering. 
And venture capital typically would be more inclined to be startups uh, than existing businesses who just need some capital to, to take it to the next level. Yeah, I think that there is a, an expectation, at least the way we look at it, is that we invest when something is sort of less than five years old. And there are a couple of different reasons for that. But one of it is that we want high growth, early stage opportunities so, so we can get in early when we can still impact on their growth to market or, or route to market. And I guess we also want the returns associated with getting in early. And businesses that have been around for a long time and haven't experienced sort of two to three times top line revenue growth year on year, which is typically what a VC expects, have got different characteristics, which just doesn't make them bad businesses. It's just that they are not necessarily conducive to venture capital. I think that you can think of venture capital a little bit like we want to add nitrous oxide to a business so that it can grow really fast and create an opportunity for us to be able to exit within a reasonable amount of time and return money back to investors. How developed is the venture capital market in South Africa, maybe relative to, say, other markets, you know, comparable markets? Yeah, I think that we've seen a lot of growth in it over the last five years. So there are more people that are raising funds of in excess of 100 million rand. For a long time, it was really hard for any VCs to have a fund of 100 million rand. A lot of people did growth equity and called themselves VCs, and that's okay, but they weren't sort of taking a pure VC approach to investing. Um, I would say they're probably, at this point in time, somewhere between five and 10 VCs in South Africa that have funds of at least 100 million rand. Many of them are reaching the point now where they've got sort of 300 million, 400 million rand in committed capital. And I think that for us, we've always sort of said that any VC fund is suboptimal or subscale until you have at least $20 million in committed capital, just because the economics of it struggle to work it below that number. So there's definitely a lot of development in this space, but it is still early days. Because if you take the, say, for example, 400 million rand, which to my knowledge is the largest individual VC fund in South Africa that has a South African focus, then you convert it to dollars and it's not that significant any longer. So comparing it to other markets, I mean, it's tiny compared to the US. It's actually also small compared to European markets, Asian markets. And even if you compare it to, say, Nigeria, Kenya, there are much larger funds in those addressing those markets as well. What is the name of this 400 million rand fund? I don't know if that's public information, so I don't know if I can share that. Why is it so small? Are there structural reasons for it? It's hard to raise from international investors. And so the, the local investors that have the capital, so family offices and high net worth individuals, are typically not looking for ways to deploy capital back into South Africa. They're looking for ways to deploy money outside of South Africa, typically money that has previously got a SAB approval or money that was, was earned on, on investments that were originally offshore. So, you know, you kind of have this problem of the money that, international money that wants to come in struggles to get in the money that used to be here is on its way out interesting and is there an appreciation of this problem within authorities in the conversations that we've had and i think perceptions are changing but i think government has a perception that venture capital is something that doesn't really have the potential to impact the lives of ordinary people so it's not really taken seriously as something that needs to be addressed, is in my opinion. And I say that it's changing because there have recently been engagements with different government organizations that ultimately led to a conversation with the president about two weeks ago around what a group of people are working on called the SA Startup Act. 
And they really just are a number of different measures that the ecosystem believes need to be attended to in order to create an environment that is conducive to more high technology startups being created and funded in in, in South Africa and ultimately creating high value employment. You know, we, we talk about you know, VC startups don't necessarily create the most employees, but they certainly create very high value knowledge workers that can create global competitiveness. The industry, as you've said, is growing. But from an investment perspective, many South African investors would look, for example, at the JSE, where we've seen a steady decline in the number of you know delistings on the bourse, uh, as well as a uh, really slowing down of new listings, especially for smaller companies looking for capital. And it seems as if many companies uh, rather look at the venture capital and private equity opportunities uh, available to them to raise uh, capital and funding. Do you think the sector offers opportunities for investors to diversify their portfolios due to maybe the equity market not growing in the number of options as it used to? I mean, I absolutely do think so. I think people just haven't really considered it as an option because asset managers don't take it very seriously. We don't get allocations from asset managers. And I think there's just concerns that it's high risk, that it's illiquid, and that, frankly, most customers are not asking for it. And so why bother? And so what we see is that instead of high net worth individuals putting money into established VC funds, those that have a serious interest in the space will tend to become angel investors and and join angel investment networks. But that's hard work. And it does mean that there's a lot of capital out there that is looking for these kinds of opportunities, but is not allocating capital to VC funds. But yet in many international markets, uh, it has opened up significantly with uh, institutions actually creating collective investment schemes, which invest in alternative investments, including venture capital and private equity. Absolutely. And I think the original arguments about it sort of being high risk and volatile and all these and long time to value and J-curve characteristics, which sort of make it look as if it's highly unprofitable initially. And then it sort of turns around because the losers lose early on and the winners, you only realize, have won much later on in the, in the fund life cycle. But within a balanced portfolio, we think that it has a super important role to play. And the South African Venture Capital Association had its conference on money. And a key theme that came out of those conversations was why are asset managers not allocating money to the VC asset class? And we had somebody from Siemens pension fund that joined from Germany and spoke about how they approach adding the VC asset class and private equity as well into their portfolio and how they manage these sort of perceived downsides to benefit from the upsides as well. And the, and the overall principle is just like, I think they, they put something like one and a half percent of the capital and management or assets under management into venture capital. They split it up across a whole lot of different fund managers. And they do also sort of uh, do new allocations to those that are performing best. And so there's some really, really smart people that know how to integrate this asset class into even vehicles like pension funds. There is an interesting report that came out, I think it was authored by the Central Bank in the UK in 2019. Now, fair enough, it's sort of pre-COVID. But what it suggested is that by adding VC as an asset class 
to pension funds, you had the opportunity to increase fund returns by between 7 and 12%. So it gives you an idea of like sort of, yes, of course, there's risk. Yes, of course, it's a little bit harder to work with the asset class. But we genuinely believe it is worth the effort. Yeah, and not only from probably an investment perspective, but also the economic contribution it, it offers uh, the country. Just lastly, you are also involved with a very interesting venture with uh, the logistics group Imperial. You manage a specific venture capital fund on their behalf. Uh, tell us about this fund. So four years ago, we started having conversations with what was at the time the group CFO, Mohammed Akaji. And the idea was kind of like they were in a fairly traditional, mature business. They knew that the spaces that they were operating in are, are being disrupted and will be disrupted in the near future. And the conversation sort of centered around, you know, how do you engage with startups? How do you counter some of the work that the startups are doing? And this is not an imperial specific thing, but any sufficiently large and mature business tends to optimize for efficiency rather than for innovation. And that's a good thing. But when you do do that, what you do is remove or make it harder for the organization to innovate. There's really good work that's been done in this space that kind of suggests that the best approach to take is to take a medium to long-term view and to separate it from the parent organization and create something called a corporate venture capital fund. And the idea behind the fund is that we spent the first three to six months just figuring out what was Imperial's medium-term strategy and how we could invest into areas that had the potential to create long-term competitive advantage and capabilities that were likely to be important to Imperial at that point in time, but perhaps even more importantly would give intelligence around how these markets and service areas would evolve over time and which business models were likely to win out and, and, and in general, you know, area is going to be disrupted. And so Imperial made a commitment, at least a first commitment to $20 million. And we've almost finished deploying most of that money now. We have invested in nine startups. I think we've got about another two that are on the verge of closing and one or two others that are not too far away. And it really is about, I think, creating a safe space for Imperial to innovate and to have somebody which has experience working with startups to get the benefit of, of having a sort of a corporate relationship without the disadvantages which typically come with a corporate trying to do it themselves and investing directly into a startup. So it's almost as if they are outsourcing their innovation and technology function or research. No, I wouldn't say it's quite as, as bad as that. I think that our approach is that corporate VCs are really good at investing into disruptive innovation capabilities. And so we've created a matrix that kind of looks at it at level of disruptive potential and, and something called time to value. So at what point in time is it disruptive? What what point in time is it capable of affecting revenue or creating new revenue and things like that? And so we've said that the opportunities that have high disruptive potential and disruptive as in Clayton Christensen's disrupted, not sort of Oxford Dictionary disruption, we've said, those that have the five to 10 year sort of time frame, high disruptive potential, those are the opportunities that you should invest into using a corporate VC fund. Those that have got a near term zero to five year revenue impact and some disruptive potential are more conducive to building those capabilities internally or licensing them or acquiring those capabilities. And so what we do is we work with Imperial to identify 
where opportunities fit in into this matrix and they either then incorporate them into their, I guess you could call it their incremental innovation programs or otherwise it gets invested in via the fund. How many other South African companies actually utilize such funds to go and find the next disruptive technology within their sector? There are a couple of corporates that have looked at their ESD programs and have kind of started to look in that way. So I think it's easy to sort of look at the ESD program as something that's a tick box exercise and maybe, you know, create some economic impact for small suppliers. But I have recently seen one or two businesses that are taking a slightly different approach and saying, well, why can't we also have compelling disruptive opportunities addressed through that? Now, I'm not sure that exactly the right vehicle to use it for but you know it's good for people to try new things and and we've seen that as to a true venture capital fund the way that we've created for imperial there are no other corporates in south africa that have done it yet we are talking to some of them that are thinking of doing it some are further along than others you know it's it's a difficult thing to sell internally in a corporate it's a large amount of capital that you have to commit over long periods of time There's got to be a lot of trust in the people that you're going to be working with in that time period as the fund manager. It's very tempting for corporates to try to do it themselves and sort of say, we'll give it an annual budget allocation and see how it goes. And that's also one of the reasons why they never, these programs usually fail when corporates try to do it themselves. They typically get underfunded, uh, under-resourced and don't have people with the right kind of skill and experience and economic incentives to make the program work. It's early in South Africa, but... There are many conversations happening, and I think that there are good conversations to be had. And everybody needs to go through their own cycle of getting to a point where they realize what works and doesn't work. Yeah, but this model is being used elsewhere in the world. In fact, it's been used quite frequently elsewhere in the world. So we are slightly behind the curve on this one. Absolutely. There are really large organizations, particularly in Europe and in the U.S., that have very successful programs. Lou, thank you so much for joining me today and for sharing your insights. You're welcome. Thanks for your time. That was Lou Clarsen. He is one of the founders and the managing partner of Newtown Partners.